I, I think I'm live. Okay. What's up, everybody? Uh, I don't know. I, I don't go live very often. Usually I pre-record these and put them out. Honestly, going live like this gives me a little bit of like weird anxiety, right? But uh, anyway, I just wanted to discuss the results from the fights last night. Um, I got about 45 minutes until the Eagles kick off and most likely get their asses handed to them by the Buccaneers. But number one rushing team in the NFL against the number 26 rushing team. So maybe they have a chance. I know the Buccaneers are a little banged up. So I'm keeping hope alive. But Anyway, I wanted to just kind of take this time and talk about the fights last night because it was a good card. A lot of decisions on the card, but there were some good fights. The main event was really the, I mean, showcase for this, right? Like it lived up to everything. And it was kind of reminiscent of honestly how the UFC opened up last year when Max Holloway went up against Calvin Cater on ESP or ABC, right? They had a card on ABC. And honestly, the result kind of played out the same. But we're going to walk through the card from the bottom to the top and just talk about the results of each of the fights. And yeah, without further ado, let's get started. I'm also, it's 10 a.m. and I'm already drinking beer, so I don't know if, I don't know. It's 5 o'clock somewhere, right? But uh, anyway, so first night of, first fight of the night, TJ Brown versus Charles Rosa. Rosa takes his fight on short notice, and TJ Brown, man, is was just able to control the fight with his wrestling. And that's been a problem for Rosa a little bit. Like, I know he's a black belt in jiu-jitsu. I know that he's pretty good on the ground and everything, but... He just spends too much time on the bottom. And TJ Brown was able to control a lot of the wrestling transitions. That's why it's so important to be able to wrestle if you're doing mixed martial arts, right? Brian Kelleher, kind of the same thing against Kevin Groom. Court McGee picked up a pretty dominant win over uh, Ramiz Bra... I can't even say it. Brahami, Brahimaj? Ramiz Brahimaj, I think is how you pronounce it. And Jamie Pickett picked up a win, win against Joseph Holmes. Now, the Pickett versus Holmes fight. Holmes was a guy who competed on the Dana White Contender Series. And Dana was like, you got to go get some more experience somewhere else before we let you into the UFC. And when you saw this fight against Jamie Pickett, you kind of saw why. Joseph Holmes is a guy who I think is going to be very talented, but he's just not UFC ready yet, right? Has a little bit more work to do. Jamie Pickett's a tough first opponent, but I just think that he, in general, has a... Like I said, I think he has some work to do in, in a lot of different areas. I think he's a little bit too green. but. Uh, moving on to the main card, this was the one that we broke down. And if you guys tuned into uh, the breakdowns that I did for this, I, I actually think I did a pretty decent job of picking most of these. I think I went five for six. And uh, yeah, but Bill, Bill, and I was mispronouncing names the whole time I did it. So apologies for that. But uh, first fight on the main card was Bill Algio versus Joe Anderson Brito. And uh, honestly, I thought that Bill Algio was going to have a little bit more success on the feet, but he really was able to control the grappling transitions a little bit, right? Like a lot of judges felt like he won all three rounds, close fight. Joe Anderson Brito was putting it on him though, man, throwing big hooks, landing some big shots against him, pressuring him back against the cage. His gas tank held up a little bit better than I thought it would. And honestly, Joe Anderson Brito, man, is a guy who after watching that fight has a lot of potential. I, I mean, he did burn himself out a little bit those and big misses and stuff like that, right? And getting into those grappling exchanges where you use a lot of stocky movements. Got a fucking hair floating around. Especially like when you're a stock, when you're a very stocky guy, right? Like short and muscularly built. It's, it's, it's tiring on you. So I think he needs to learn how to manage the pace a little bit. But also, Bill Algio, man, is just a tough opponent right? Just a tough guy to get for your first UFC fight. He's a guy who debuted, like we said, against Ricardo Lamas, um, fought Spike Carlisle after that, and then lost his most recent bout. Who did he just lose against? But anyway, Bill Algio picks up a, a nice win. And uh, yeah, good fight. Joe Anderson Brito, young guy. I think he's 26 years old, has a lot of promise. 
And uh, Aljay was just able to outgrapple him a little bit. And again, that veteran prowess kind of came through, right? It was kind of shocking to me. The odds on this card didn't make a lot of sense to me. Like the Slava, even, even though Slava Borshev won, that's the fight we're going to talk about next. He was like a minus 210 underdog and Dakota Bush looked good early, right? Caitlin Trukagian, those odds made sense to me. Roy Val, Bontarine, kinda. Collier Sherman made sense. And Cater versus Chikachi was egregious in my opinion, but what the fuck can you do? Anyway, next fight, Slava Borshev versus Dakota Bush. Dakota Bush comes out and he's looking great early on, man. He's getting his hands working. He gets a takedown. He's able to take uh, Borshev to the ground. And then you start wondering like, okay, you know Dakota Bush is pretty good on the ground, right? I think he has three or four rear naked choke wins to his name throughout his professional career. And you just start wondering like, hey, is this going to be where, you know, we, we find out that Slava Borshev has a big hole in his game. And I think Slava Borshev answered a lot of questions. He was able to fight through that early takedown, get off his back, get back to his feet. And he had Dakota Bush pinned up against the cage. And I, again... When he starts letting his hands go, man, he's he's very smooth and he has a lot of kickboxing experience. He's training with alpha male, so you should know that his ground game should be on point, right? Like he should be able to get up from those situations. Um, and he caught when they were up against the cage, he threw a right and then he came a right to the body and then he came around with the left of the body. And while he was throwing that left of the body, he caught Dakota Bush extending with the right hand and it opened up uh the, uh, the liver shot that he landed. And I think that extension, like he timed it perfectly. Like Dakota Bush was fully extended, not able to protect the liver at all. And boom, landed, crumbled on the fights over. Slava Borshev, incredible UFC debut. And uh, a guy who you got to watch out for, man. Like I said, a lot of experience kickboxing and uh bad motherfucker, dude. So uh, Slava Borshev, definitely someone to watch. Uh, next fight, Caitlin Chukagian versus Jennifer Maya. This was one of those ones where I thought that Caitlin Chukagian honestly looked as good as she's ever looked in her career. She was managing the distance well, defended all the takedown attempts from Jennifer Maya. And again, guys, I said this before when we went into the fight. The problem with Jennifer Maya is that even when she pushes her opponents up against the cage, she doesn't move her feet to create angles to get the takedowns. And that's a lot of the times why you see people who are jujitsu specialists. They have a really hard time getting the fight to the ground, even though when they do get on top, they do well, right? But getting it there is a completely different story. And for whatever reason, when Maya gets up against the cage, she's always just fighting for, she's pummeling and she's using her head well, but she's never creating angles with her feet. She doesn't have to work up against the cage. So in those moments, Caitlin Chikagian was able to frame off and get back to where she wanted to be, right? And also, she tried like a drop Sayanagi. Jennifer Maya did, I think, in the second round that allowed Caitlin Chikagian to take her back. And that type of judo throw... Man, your timing has to be impeccable, and it helps a lot. You see a lot of, like, drop Sayanagis hit in the gi. Drop Sayanagis when they drop to their knees and boom, right? Like, toss a person over the shoulder. She tried that, and Caitlin Chikagian almost got her back. Um, ended up on her back. I don't know if she – I can't. I don't think she sunk the hooks in. But that's a technique. It's a judo technique that it really works a lot better if you're able to get, like, a collar and the sleeve, right? And then you can – boom. It gives you – but – without those attachments, it makes it hard to hit and you have to have really good timing on it. And again, Caitlin Chukagian is long and lanky and like has those long legs. Like, man, hard to take those people down as it is. But that drop Sayanagi was a big mistake. I think it happened in the second round because I remember thinking Maya was having a better second round. But Caitlin Chukagian was also able to land takedowns of her own, stay on top of Maya. And she just looked great throughout the fight, man. I thought she looked incredible. She had good movement, picking her opponent apart and just stayed calm and composed and 
showed why she was like a minus 200 favorite going into this fight. Caitlin Chikagian looked great. I'm a big fan of Chikagian, man. I think she has good footwork. She's constantly throwing out volume. She has a really good understanding of range and everything, and she's just constantly keeping something in your face. And not to mention, people forget, she trained, she has like a brown belt, I believe, under Ricardo Almeida, right? So training with Mark Henry and all those guys, I mean, she is just, she, Caitlin Chukagian is very good. The problem is just the same with every girl at 125, right? Valentina Shevchenko is the queen. And it's like dethroning her. Man, that's going to be tough. But Caitlin Chukagian looked great. I thought it was one of her best performances yet. Um, and yeah, hopefully this microphone sounds okay. And this is a, uh, but anyway, let's move on to the next fight between Brandon Royval and Rogerio Bontarine. Royval, I think he won most of the, all of the exchanges almost on the feet. There were a couple moments of success where Bontarine had, but the second round was probably Bontarine's strongest round. I thought Brandon Royval won the first and the third and Bontarine without a doubt won the second. I thought that he took Brandon Royval down, controlled him well. And again, guys, we talked about this one going into the fight too. Brandon Roy Val, despite the fact that he won this fight, and Bontarine is a tough fight, man, not taking anything away from him. But Brandon Roy Val has a serious problem, same with Bill Algio, where they expose their back to their opponent. I mean, early on in the Joe Anderson Brito fight, when Bill Algio was, when they were going at it, Joe Anderson Brito, Brito came out, landed a beautiful takedown, and got to the back of Bill Algio immediately. And Brandon Roy Val gave his back up to Rogerio Bontarine, right? Guys who favor spinning techniques or for whatever reason, they just have a tendency. I don't even know if it stemmed off spinning techniques, but you know, they just have a tendency to give their backup. And I think that's something that Roy Val and Bill Algio need to really fix. Like they need to focus on that because sure, right now you're getting away with it and your escapes are good. And Roy Val especially is really good at always forcing scrambles and keeping his hips moving. But you saw that like, for Brandon Royval in the Pantoja fight, that came back to bite him eventually once Pantoja was able to sink both of his hooks in, right? It's just not a good place to be, even if you feel good defending yourself from there. So Royval looked great on the feet, but he doesn't, he also, another problem that I have with Royval, and like he, he doesn't sprawl, right? Like whenever guys shoot takedowns on him, it's very easy to take him to the ground. And I almost think it's because he's so comfortable playing from the bottom and guard because he's always looking for Goga Platas and shit like that, right? Like he's always looking to tie you up and somehow. And he's got that, he's got great cardio, great flexibility. So like, I think that those positions don't really bother him. But you guys saw in the third round when he was able to get on top of Bontarine that he was able to dominate from there. So it's like in fighting, it's just super important to be on top. And when Roy Val, if he gets to a point where he's going to start challenging for a world title, against guys i mean like roy val already has a loss to brandon moreno for this like same reason right like he gave up his back and it eventually led to him i mean he got a shoulder injury like a shoulder popped out of socket but he gave his back up to moreno too right so it's like this problem it, it needs to be fixed if you're going to compete for a world title i understand that you feel comfortable there but it's just it's a hard position to get out of and if you get somebody who really understands what's going on like a Davison Figueredo I think that Figueredo has a good idea of what's going like the way he choked out and had fucking like uh Joseph Benavidez extended like if you're going to fight guys like that you can't be giving your back it's just too fucking risky so Roy Val needs to work on his takedown defense and I think that he's a real problem in the division I think his striking is very clean like I said his cardio is great he's long he's lanky he's confident but the takedown defense needs work and you definitely Definitely do not want to be given your backup. Um, all right, moving on to 
the heavyweight bout between Jake Collier and Chase Sherman. This was one where, honestly, I thought we would see a little bit more of Chase Sherman um, getting dotted up on the feet, right? My biggest complaint with Chase Sherman every time I watch one of his fights is that he doesn't move his head. He moves it. A, he's gotten a little bit better with his movement and stuff, especially when he's move, when he's being defensive. But it's like when you're focusing on defense, it's a little bit easier to focus on movement because you're focused strictly on avoiding the shots of somebody, right? My big complaint with Chase Sherman is that he doesn't move his head when he throws offense. Like he watches his handiwork too much. Like his head stays right here looking straight at you while he's throwing punches. And it allows guys to tee off on him. And then that consequently tires him out, right? So that was my big complaint about Chase Sherman going into this fight. However, people forget, man. Okay, first off, Jake Collier is such an interesting case. I think he's put on a lot of weight recently because of like mental health issues and stuff like that. Like he he came into the UFC weighing 185 pounds. He fought at middleweight. I personally, on his way up to heavyweight, I think the best he looked was at light heavyweight. He had some power there. He had some speed. But um, since then, he's gained even more weight. He came in like a half pound under the heavyweight limit of 265 pounds. And uh, yeah, but people also forget about him. Not only was he a middleweight, right? So he has that like speed and stuff. And But also he started out in jujitsu when he was like 20 years old. So he has a pretty good jujitsu background. And when he caught that kick of Sherman and took it to the ground, he was able to slice into mount eventually force Chase Sherman to give up his back and he choked him out and he looked good. So Jake Collier to me is an interesting case. A lot of people also felt like he won his fight against Carlos Felipe and that he should be on a three fight winning streak right now. Pretty impressive considering, like I said, it's, it's tough because when you look at the heavyweight division and the two guys who are about to battle it out next weekend, Francis Ngannou and Cyril Gaon, that to me is what your body should fucking look like if you're going to compete for a heavyweight world title. Like those guys are, they can't get down to 205, right? Like Jake Collier, I think like, obviously, if you look at him, like he's got a gut, man. And I know he's put on weight because of mental health issues, whatever it is, whatever the weight, I don't, I don't know exactly. I don't know the motherfucker, right? But my point is that if he would trim down, I really think he would do significantly better in lighter weight divisions, right? Because I think at 205, he would maintain some of his strength, gets a little bit more speed back and a little bit more cardio. But like I said, a lot of people felt like he won the Carlos Felipe fight. A lot of people feel like this guy should be on a three-fight winning streak right now. And uh, yeah, he's, he's looking good, man. I mean, if you're going to fight, a heavy, no, no knocking him. You got to do whatever you're going to do. If that's where you feel comfortable, maybe he likes to eat. I don't fucking know. But I'm just saying... I think that he would be more competitive because he can box. He throws some unorthodox striking in there. Like you see that like guys get thrown off a little bit by his striking and shit. Sometimes he's very good. I think Jake Collier, he's got a lot of experience. He's been doing MMA for a long time. I think Jake Collier is very good, but I think he would be better if he lost weight. I just think that when you look at the guys at the top of that division, there's guys like Derek Lewis are a little bit of an exception, right? But like Cyril Gaon, Francis Ngannou, Stipe Miocic, those guys are all like, built like they belong you know what i mean jake collier is a guy who could definitely get down to a lighter weight class he's shown it to us before so we'll see what's in the cards for him moving forward all right the main event calvin cater versus giga chikache i i could not fucking understand who is setting the odds on this one like you never want to be i didn't want to be overconfident going into it but like my money went on Cater all day. He was like a plus 190 underdog. He had fought Max Holloway, guys like Shane Burgos, Zabit Magomed Sharipov. He had fought all these high-level guys, right? Jeremy Stevens. And for whatever fucking reason, 
the odds makers gave a guy who hasn't had a UFC main event yet that he was like a minus 210 underdog or some shit. I was like, who the fuck is setting these, right? Made no sense to me. But this main event played out very similarly to how the main event that started off 2021 started out when Max Holloway on ABC beat the fuck out of Calvin Cater, right? Calvin Cater did the same. And Bisping mentioned this several times during the broadcast. Calvin Cater essentially did the Giga Chikache what Max Holloway did to Calvin Cater last year. It was just odd how they, but first card of the year for both of them, right? And they had the same sort of performance. Um, great fucking fight. And one thing I want to point out, Giga Chikache is a tough motherfucker. He ate so many elbows, man. Some of them were making me cringe. I was like, oh, maybe the ref should just stop it. He's like too tough for his own good, man. Like that spinning elbow that, I mean, he was landing them all shot and he was timing it off the left hand, right? But, or he was landing it, he was landing it all fight and timing it off the left hand. But the one that he landed in the fifth round, man, that one made me cringe. It was a beautiful performance by Calvin Cater. And also something I wanted to bring up, like we were talking about this in our competition class in jujitsu, right? Like when you're going through it, you get exhausted. Like when you're in the middle of like all these rounds and stuff, right? But eventually you kind of hit a wall. And you become almost like comfortably numb was the word that my coach used to describe it. And he's right. You kind of just like push through it and you start going again. Cater lands this takedown in the first round, right? And they have, then he wins the second round. And when the third round opens up, they both look exhausted. Like both of their movements start looking labored to me. But then when they came back out in the fourth round, it looked like Cater had caught a little bit of a second wind. And I kind of think that's what that second wind is. It's more you hit that wall. It feels like you can't go any further and then you just become numb to it. And again, you got to think that the advantage lied in Calvin Cater's court because of the fact that he's had main events before against guys like Danny Gay and Max Holloway, right? Like that matters. It matters the level of competition that you faced. It matters that, you know, you've been in main events and Giga, I just thought that his, the level of UFC competition that he's faced so far it didn't match up to Cater's. And also, man, the jab of Cater. The fact that Cater uses his hands as opposed to kicks as his weapon. Giga Chikache, I will say, didn't press me with his hand speed and everything. Like, there were moments where he was landing, and I was like, oh, fuck, he might end up knocking Cater out. Like, he's he looks fast, but then Cater just took over as the fight went on. But, I mean, I said this going into the fight, too. Name a UFC champion that has a kick-first approach, right? You realize how exhausting that's going to be for you. And Giga Chikache, while he's a very good striker all around, strong kickboxing experience, he relies heavily on his kicks to set other things up. Whereas I think other guys tend to hide stuff behind their punches and then sprinkle the kicks in. And I honestly, I think if you're going to hold a world title in the UFC, that's the approach you have to have. Giga has to little, get a little bit more comfortable with his hands and use those to set the kicks up. Because A, kicks are exhausting. But B, it's very hard to throw combinations with kicks. Like it's a one and done thing. And Anthony Smith made a good point after the fight too. It's very hard to throw kicks while you're moving backwards. You can throw punches from almost anywhere though. Like you saw Shane Burgos get knocked out by Calvin Cater with that upper. I mean, he caught him with the overhand right. And as Burgos was kind of falling into him, Cater was able to step back and throw the uppercut, right? So I just favor boxers, right? I favor people who can string combos together, get more volume out and keep pressure on their opponent without using big bursts of energy, which is what kicking essentially is. I didn't understand the odds in this one. I I mean, Calvin Cater's a bad motherfucker. He's going to be, he's at the top of the division. And I think the guy 
that he, I, I hate playing matchmaker, right? Because it's a hard thing to do. Like whoever has that job, shit, good luck to you. But uh, uh, when we start getting into these fights where you got guys at the top of the division, I like to kind of think about who they should fight next. And I kind of think that Calvin Cater should fight Brian Ortega next. I think it's a great matchup. And you know what I loved about this fight too? Like Cater landed that takedown in the first round, uh, got to the back of Giga Chikache. And at the end of the fight, when they're doing the interview, his name pops up and it says Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Blue Belt, as if that's the thing that won him the fight. No, man, it was the elbows, the jab, the constant pressure, the constant volume. Uh, I just thought it was funny that they threw on there that he was a Blue Belt. But I will say, Cater's ground game looked much much improved. Even when Giga was able to reverse position, he locked up that kind of arm triangle from the bottom. And while it was hard, it's a hard, it's a very hard submission to get. It eventually led to Giga exposing his back. And you know, that takedown was a big deal because I think it it took a lot of it takes a lot of energy um, to try to get back to your feet when you're on the ground, right? Or to get on top. So that first round and Cater's wrestling coming into play was a big deal. And uh but yeah, man, it was a dominant showing. And then for a guy like Giga Chikache, you got to remember, guys, this is a tough fight for him. For me, this was a giant leap up in competition for Giga. Like going from beating like Cub Swanson and Edson Barboza to fighting Calvin Cater, Barboza's very good. Don't get me wrong. Barboza's very, Barboza could knock anybody out on any given day. Very impressive win. But you saw Barboza was able in the second round of their fight, he was able to pressure Giga Chikache up against the cage a little bit, right? And you were able to see Cater was able to replicate that a little bit. Cater's got a little bit longer arms and he's better with his hands. It was just, I, I thought it was a little bit too much too soon for Giga Chikache. Like he hit the height, he got on this hype train and everybody started being like, oh, this is it. This is the next guy. Man, I don't know. I think in a good next fight for Giga Chikache would be a guy like Dan Ige, right? A guy who is very good, who you probably have an advantage on the feet against, but he would present you with wrestling trouble. He has a recent loss to Calvin Cater. Um, there are guys like Josh Emmett in the division. There are options for Giga Chikache. And same as Calvin Cater, I think Giga Chikache walks away from this fight a better mixed martial artist. Uh, it Tough as fuck. I can't believe the beating he took. It was, like I said, it was incredible how reminiscent it was of the ABC card that opened up 2021 where Holloway did the same thing to Cater. Cater, like, got his revenge, right? Got his payback. And, uh, yeah, it was, I mean, an incredible performance, a fun fight. Like I said, and, and a good one, like, after, like, like we had, what, Algio and Britu ended in a decision. Slava knocked out Dakota Bush with that body shot, TKO. Chukagian decision. Roy Val decision, and then Jake Collier tapped out Chase Sherman. And there, like up and down the card, there were just a lot of decisions, right? Jamie Pickett decision, Court McGee decision, Brian Kelleher decision, TJ Brown decision. But this main event made up for all that. I thought it was a great way to open up 2022 and definitely excited for um, the things to come for both of these guys. Calvin Cater still – his ground game has a little bit of work to do. Like I said, it looked good in this. His wrestling looked good. But you could tell that there were just some things that if he had a little more experience on the ground, maybe he could have. I was thinking when he got him on the ground in the first round, I was like, is Calvin Cater about to fucking tap Giga Chikache out? But you could just see that he didn't have a firm enough understanding of like the position to pick up like a rear naked choke or something from there, right? Like he couldn't. He locked up a body triangle, but there were just things that you, you could just tell he wasn't quite comfortable there, right? Definitely a guy who likes being on his feet. So I don't know, man. It was a great, it, it, it was a fun card to watch. Like I thought, I thought most of the fights were fun. Even Caitlin Chikagian, like I said, I thought she looked great.
Slava Borg, Seb Dakota Bush was fun. Algeo versus Brito was fun. like they were fun fights, just a lot of decisions. And uh, the 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 main event went the same way, but Chikadze just took a beating. But anyway, guys, we've got about what 23 minutes until the Eagles start, and I got to cook some food for myself and shit. But I just wanted to. Uh, Oh yeah, Islam versus Benio. Yeah, that'll definitely be coming out, man. Um, I think that's one of the most exciting fights to look forward to in the lightweight division. Uh, there's uh, obviously we got UFC yeah. UFC 270 coming up this weekend. Great card there. Flyweight titles on the line. Heavyweight titles on the line. Um, yeah, there's a lot to look forward to if you're a UFC fan, man. And this this main event kind of gave you uh, hopefully a preview of what the upcoming year is going to be like. So. Yeah. Um, I'm going to sign off, guys. Like I said, I'm going to go down and get myself mentally ready for this game. Hopefully the Eagles don't get the fucking shit beat out of the day by the Buccaneers. Fuck Tom Brady, right? And uh, thank you guys for tuning in. Gone, that's the thing about Gone, too. UK won. A, I appreciate you always watching and commenting on shit. B, thank you for pointing out the timestamp thing yesterday. And C, Cyril Gone is a very technical striker, but he's also really fucking good on the ground. And if you're watching just like kind of early preview stuff, the way that Stipe wrestled, I know that his takedown defense improved and right. Francis and is right. But if you look at the way that Stipe was able to take Francis down in their first fight and the way that like Francis wasn't able to get back up, like missing some white belt fundamentals in his jujitsu, Cyril Ghosn is a legitimate submission threat. Like he's not just technical on the feet. He's technical on the ground. You got, you don't usually see a martial artist that well-rounded that moves that well. That's that precise. That does all this fucking different shit so well for being so heavy. Right? So that's a great fight. I'm really looking forward to watching film on all these guys breaking that one down, but yeah, guys, that's going to wrap this one up for me. Like I said, I'm going to go get myself emotionally prepared for this Eagles game. And uh, thank you guys for tuning in as always. We'll get a breakdown out this week. I'm going to try to do these live things more often. Um, I don't know. I got to get my fucking internet connection figured out. But anyway, thank you guys for tuning in. I'm going to wrap this up. Have a great day and uh, bye-bye.